everybody. Welcome in. It's Dr. Tim Brown coming to you from Farmcast for the Community. University of Georgia's College of Pharmacy sponsors this. And if you'll notice, we have a brand new background. We're in a brand new studio. We're working our way through for a brand new year. Um, I want to mention that next month, I have someone coming on board that works in infectious disease, works with basically infections. And we're going to talk about how to prevent HIV and also how to prevent sexually transmitted diseases. There's a lot of research that's coming out there, and he's going to sort of bring us up to speed on what we need to know. Before we get to that month, though, as always, I have somebody amazing this month. I mean, the guests that we have on always this add another layer of discussion and bring in all this incredible wisdom. This month, we have Dr. Joey Baker. Dr. Baker is renowned in the state of Georgia for speaking on the topic we're going to discuss today, a topic that actually helps prevent cancer in our discussion point. So that's a pretty big promise on my part, but we're going to talk about what that means in a second. Hi, Dr. Baker. How are you? I'm great, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. I want to tell everybody, I was reading your background and I knew some of this, but I'm going to, I'm going to hype you up for a minute if you don't mind. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this lady is a board certified general obstetrician and gynecologist uh, in LaGrange, Georgia. And she worked in both uh, the city and in rural areas in her practice over the last decade. I know that she did go to Morehouse School of Medicine and Grady Health System for Residency and big accolades at both of those institutions over your educational career. I was doing a little bit of background reading on you and I'm like, girl, I'm so impressed. I'm oh like, my Holy goodness. Cow. Um, I do know you also serve as director for quality and safety for the Women's Health Center at Wellstar West at the Georgia Medical Center. And talking to some of my colleagues when I was want to talk about this whole discussion of cancer prevention and HPV, which we'll talk about in a little bit more depth in a second, your name came up from five different people as the person that I need to talk to. Oh, wow. And so I am so thrilled that you're joining me today and you're able to educate us a little bit about HPV. Can, can we start there? Because I use the word HPV, but what does that stand for? Because I see all the commercials, people on TV, the vaccines being promoted at the pharmacies. What does HPV stand for? Well, first, Tim, thank you for that very kind and generous introduction. I am so excited to be here today to talk to you guys about human papillomavirus, or HPV for short. Got it. Uh, to talk a little bit about how we can prevent um, cancers that are related to HPV infection. So I made a statement, preventing cancer, HPV or this virus that we're talking about can lead to certain cancers at a higher rate. Uh, there's three that I can think. I went to a web, I was at a webinar on Friday, listening to some folks from Africa and around Europe talking about prevention in those countries as well. So it's not just an America issue or North America issue. These are cancers that are seen all over the world. What are the, the top cancers that HPV has been known to cause? So yes, it is a worldwide problem. Um, probably, you know, a, a billion people in the world are are have been exposed to HPV. Oh, wow! And so it can be um, very um, efficient at causing several types of cancer in the body. The top three that we generally see um, are cancers of the cervix, cancers of the vulva or vagina, so the outside parts of the vagina or the inside parts of the vagina, and then and then uh, cancers in the anus. So um, those are, are probably uh, the three big ones we see when we think about HPV in the genital area, but then it can also cause cancers of the head and neck, which is another uh, big chunk of HPV-related cancers. So when I hear head and neck, I think brain tumor. It, is it a brain tumor or is it a different kind of cancer? Well, actually in the mouth 
and oh. in the throat uh, is where we find a lot of these cancers that are related to HPV. I got so like tongue cancer and throat cancer. Absolutely. Kind of, oh, mm -hmm. oh, so, yeah. so cancer or vulva can basically cancers that involve women a great deal, anal cancer or anus cancer. And then mm -hmm. now we're talking about the throat and the mouth as well. So this virus is a mean little thing then. Absolutely. It's a mean little thing. And we often think about, um, you know, how do people get these? And and it's really skin to skin contact and body fluids. So it, anybody could be potentially um, exposed to this virus. So I, I we say HPV. I have to ask this because when you talk about virus, you know, I think about HIV, about body fluid exchange. I don't think about skin to skin because we know HIV doesn't transfer. So this this particular virus can transfer bodily fluids, but also just skin to skin contact. Uh-huh. Yeah, just skin to skin contact. And so that's why it's so important to be aware of that, to have that, that little tidbit, because that's a big deal when it comes to uh, trying to prevent uh, the spread of HPV. So with that said, I and we've been talking about HPV or this virus. Is it just one virus we're talking about, or is it more than one that can spread through skin to skin or body fluids? How do you know if you have one particular, I mean, how does that work? Well, so since COVID, the whole COVID pandemic, I've had a much easier time explaining this. The HPV is actually kind of a family of viruses. So you have different strains, like you um, like you've seen with the COVID pandemic, where we'll see a new strain and then we have more people become infected and some strains are worse than others. So oh. um, HPV works exactly the same way. We have several different strains that at my last count, there were 12 different strains that could cause cancers, but then there's a whole myriad of other strains that have not been related to cancer. So we're mainly, when we're talking about HPV infection, we're really most focused on those ones that could potentially cause cancer. And that would just be 12 of those cousins that get um, into folks' bodies through body fluids or skin-to-skin -skin contact and can cause uh, cancer in various parts of the body. Okay, so I have to ask the question. So let's say I go in, I'm doing my routine checkup with my primary care, and they decide that they see something that looks a little odd. Is there a way to tell if I have HPV or what they're seeing is HPV, or do you even see well, you sometimes it can be very difficult to detect with the human eye unless someone has already developed a growth or a tumor in that area of the body. Uh, and so there are some screening tests. You know, interestingly enough, my dad is a dentist and I'm a gynecologist. So we're the two folks who often see the most HPV related yeah. cancers. And so, you know, I was asking him about like, hey, dad, how do you suspect someone has HPV when you're looking in their mouth or in their throat? And he's like, Great oh, question. yeah. You can see um, these uh, growths that kind of look like warts um, in the mouth, on the vocal cords, in the throat, uh, around the tongue, or in the gum line. So lots of um, kind of telltale signs. Interestingly enough, when we talk about uh, HPV causing genital cancers, um, there is screening for women with the pap test and the HPV DNA test, but there is currently no screening for men um, unless they are um, men who um, have male partners. And then you can do a pap test of the anus to detect anal cancer. But for just the regular um, uh, person walking around day to day who's male, we may not have a great test for that individual.
That's interesting you bring that up. And, you know, I have to admit to you, I just went to my six-month dental appointment, and they did do, like, you know, they were all in there looking around for various things. Made me stick my tongue out. I had to move it around. And the lady did say, she goes, we're looking for cancers. So I'm just looking for any, make sure everything looks good. That makes a lot of sense now that you talk about this virus can live in a lot of places. And I never thought about my dentist as being somebody to help me prevent HPV-related cancers. That's a wonderful point. You mentioned earlier a little bit about the genital area and also men who have sex with men. We've talked about body fluids and skin to skin. I'm going to add that up and say that this virus gets transmitted a lot during sexual contact. Is that a, is that a fair statement? That is a very fair statement. Um, and given the, the, the large number of people who have been exposed to the HPV virus, the, the reason that we do pap tests for women is that we can assume that just about everyone who's ever been sexually active has probably come in contact with this virus at some point. The majority of people are going to clear that virus out of their system with their own healthy immune system, right? But then there is a small percentage of folks who are not gonna be able to get rid of that virus. And those are the people who are going to be at risk for HPV related cancer. It's interesting because I don't think anybody purposely tries to hurt anyone else, you know, and so this is my own mentality of that people may not even know that they have HPV when they're intimate with someone or they have a new partner or they meet the love of their life. Um, and so they could actually move HPV from one person to the other without even knowing they're doing it. Is that Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think for those listening, one of the key aspects of this is when we're dealing with HPV and we're talking about this, people start to get kind of nervous when I mentioned that it may be caused by sex. And I, and I really want to point out that this is something that many people don't even realize that they may have been in contact with or that they actually are giving it to someone else. And I think uh, Dr. Baker mentioned this, a billion people have been exposed. Is that what you were saying earlier? Yeah, about a billion people. And, and when we think about um, in the United States, we see millions of folks who have been exposed to this virus and many people, the vast majority don't know it because they may not have any symptoms at all. Wow. And so, like you said, when people meet that, the love of their life or their partner for life, um, they may not even be aware that they've been exposed and might be carrying HPV. That's, a, you know, you just stop for that minute and just go, wow, I mean, how, how would I even have a clue? And you're talking earlier about the screening mechanism. So it's important that you get screened by your primary care. It's important that you're honest with your sexual practices and who you're having sex with. Right. Um, and that helps with screening. And I, I also think to your point earlier, I mean, I go to the dentist every six months because my parents drilled it into my head that I must go to the dentist. But a mm-hmm. lot of people, you know, when you're trying to save a little bit of money, They'll go to their healthcare provider necessarily, but not necessarily to their dentist. So you make a very good point that the dentist is the person that's really going to be interested in what goes on with my tongue and my throat and the way my mouth looks to look for these cancers too. That's a great point. Mm, yeah, yeah, it really is. And and while you know a primary doc can get a light and stick it, uh, hold it to your mouth and look around, the dentist really is a much better um person to screen for oral cancers, because that's kind of what they do every day. I can't, you know, I'm a, as a gynecologist, I, I very rarely have to look at someone's tongue, teeth, or throat. So, you know, I might miss a telltale sign that a dentist would pick up. 
Well, you know, I think we're all adults here. As we talk about sexual practices, that's why it's so important that you're clear with the people who give you care about your sexual practices because it talks about your risk, right? Like what what are your risk factors? What's going on? Mm -hmm. You mentioned that there are a lot of different strains of this little virus, this mean little thing, but there's about 12 of them that cause cancer. Right. Absolutely. And those are the ones that we are geared at detecting during screening and 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 for and nine of those 12 are covered by the HPV vaccine. And so the vaccine is a huge, huge uh, deal when it comes to preventing HPV related cancers because the vaccine can help boost your immunity to the HPV virus strains. Like we talked about how most people's immune system will be able to get rid of HPV. Well, the vaccine helps boost your immunity and helps you fight that much more effectively. So now I, there's, you said there are nine strains inside of, it's called Gardasil, this HPV vaccine. Mm -hmm. People out there can put two and two together. What you're hearing, this HPV vaccine, the one on the market is Gardasil, which has been in the news on and off. Uh, But to your point, Gardasil didn't start off with nine strains in it though, did it? No, it didn't. It, It started out with, I believe with four strains. And then there was another vaccine called Cervarix that's no longer on the market, but these were kind of the two competing um, uh, brands of vaccine. So now Gardasil is the one that's kind of hung in there for the long haul, and they've continued to add additional coverage for HPV cancer prevention. So that's, I always thought that was such a great idea for them to continue to evolve with the time. So as we discover new strains, they add protection um, for, for that. So basically, they used the four strains that we knew at the time, and then they basically more than doubled the coverage with the current model that's out there. Gardasil is a vaccine, and I think like most vaccines, it's given by an injection, correct? Yes, it's an injection. How is it normally dosed? So the the goal here, and what my ultimate goal is every time I'm talking to um, young people or parents is to get this vaccine on board prior to the sexual debut or prior to when people start having sex. So we really recommend between ages nine and 14, and these folks will can get a two or a three dose regimen, depending on you know what's available in their community, but um, they could get um, a two dose regimen. And then if you're over the age of 14, the recommendation is a three dose regimen. And so with two doses, you get you know, day one, you get your first dose. Okay. And anywhere from um, two to six months, you can get your second dose, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's right. Let me make sure. I don't usually vaccinate young people in my office. We vaccinate older people. <laughs> but um, you want to have both doses in that schedule. And then once you get to uh, 14 years or older, 14 years to 45 years old, they're going to get a three-dose regimen. So they'll get one at day one and then two to six months and then they'll get one um, between six and 12 months. So they wanna make sure that everybody has the complete vaccine series versus just piecemealing it. Got it. You know, you said nine to 14. I have to admit, I gasp a little bit because I'm thinking, gosh, sex at nine to, but your point I think is even well taken that a billion people are walking around you don't know who you're going to date. You don't know who you're going to meet in your world. So this is a way to sort of do a cancer prevention in someone years 
before they actually are starting to talk about dating and and finding out that significant other. So your so your point is this is called prevention before they can even be exposed to these right. these twelve these twelve virus these twelve strains. We're going to give them a vaccine. It's almost the same thing that we do with measles and chickenpox and anything else. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think that the HPV vaccine originally got a bad rap. Um, it's been out for you know a couple decades now. And I think that originally people focused on the fact that it prevented infection with a sexually transmitted infection, right? And a lot of parents were just like, oh no, you know, my kid is never having sex and never <laughs> doing any. Yeah, my kid's 10 years old. Why are we having this right, conversation? So I yeah. don't even want to have this conversation. The answer is no, you know, and that that was kind of the initial reaction. And that has led to very poor uptake of the HPV vaccine across our country. And we have seen a rise in HPV related cancers. Uh, and so now what we want to do is to make sure that the messaging is clear and that we make it very clear to parents that the HPV vaccine is a cancer prevention vaccine. You know, we're not saying anything about your kid having sex earlier, uh, or, um, you know, that it's okay for kids to be engaged in sexual practices. That's not the point at all. The point is we want to stop HPV related cancers before the, the person is ever, ever exposed to the HPV virus. Yeah. That makes, you know, I'm thinking of how old I am now. And I'm thinking back in time and wishing that this was available when I was, you know, 10, 12 years old. You said, but it's not too late for people up to the age of 45, correct? Right. 45. So I have, I have to ask, because I'm not 45. I'm above 45. Why 45? Why can't it be 65 or 95? Like, why does it cut off at 45? Okay. So the interesting thing is that, you know, when we're doing these vaccines or, or when these vaccines are being created, they're being studied in certain populations. And the goal is to try to uh, to try to get a diverse population from various parts of the country and that sort of thing. And so there've sure. been lots of large major studies done here. And originally the age was nine to 26. So then they added an age group and studied that group for years. And so it can really be some lag time when you're talking about getting FDA approval for um, a larger age range or for a different population. So um, the other thing is, is that as you get older, your risk of HPV-related cancers usually start to drop, not because you can't still be exposed to HPV, but just because older, you know, as we get older, um, we tend to get, well, or I hope we get wiser. And, you know, that some of the risk factors may not be there that we had when we were younger, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, I want to point out that I love this concept of giving a vaccine before any exposure could ever occur. But I also want to point out to the adults that if you're sexually active, this is a conversation you should be having with your healthcare provider because there were some vaccines that weren't available when I was younger. So as an adult, I, I'm thinking about this HPV vaccine. I'm thinking about hepatitis B vaccines, those kinds of things that try to keep me healthy so I can enjoy my old age after I've worked all these years to save for it. Um, you mentioned risk factors. Are there populations that are higher risk? I mean, it sounds like anybody who has sex is at risk for HPV, but that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, anyone who has had sexual intercourse uh, can be at risk of being exposed to the HPV virus. So if you think about that, think about, you know, the higher the number of partners, 
the higher your risk because you don't know who might introduce one of those strains that can cause a, um, a, a cancer that's related to HPV. So, you know, being careful about partner selection, making sure that you're um, doing whatever sort of available prevention is out there uh, and screening. So screening is huge. Even for folks who are vaccinated, they should still continue their screening. And then um, if you are someone who has been um, previously infected with HIV, HPV is, you know, loves to hang out with HIV. So it's very, very important that these um that people who are HIV positive or living with HIV are um, screened regularly uh, for for cancers that are related to HPV. Um, so that's the that's the thing, and and if we can really educate folks about this, because most times when I have someone who has a positive HPV um, come back from their Pap test, right? They are, they they never heard of it. They're like, well, what is that? You know, and so we hear about all the about HIV and gonorrhea and chlamydia and all these other sexually transmitted infections, but HPV has kind of been a silent uh, player here. But it's it is the number one sexually transmitted infection, um, you know, across the world and in our country. Well, in a billion, as you mentioned, and there's no treatment necessarily. I mean, not that there's a treatment for HIV, but we know that there's management, and there's also a drug that we can take to reduce the transmission for HPV to reduce transmission. It's this vaccine. It's Gardasil. Right. So getting the series done. Yeah. One common misconception I see a lot, Tim, is that uh, I may see uh, a woman who's had an abnormal pap smear and who has had a positive HPV test. Okay. Well, we are able now to screen down to the, the, vi the virus strain. So oh. let's say, I had strain 18 and that's what caused me to have some precancerous cells on my cervix. And I had treatment for that. And the only real treatment is to remove those abnormal cells from the cervix if you're trying to prevent cervical cancer. Well, even though I had strain 18 and I've had all this treatment, I am still eligible to, be, to get vaccinated if I am between the age of nine and 45. Got it. Because there are still eight other strains that I can be protected against, you know, minus the one that I already was infected with, I can still get lots of protection from the vaccine. So that way, if I move on and I um, decide to become intimate with another partner, I'm protected against the other strains that can potentially cause me to have another um, issue with abnormal paps or cervical cancer. And the same is true for oral or um, uh, throat cancers. Yeah. And then, you know, that's a really good point that because you've been exposed to one doesn't mean that you can't block the other eight that are right. out there. That's a really good point that that vaccine has now nine strains it fights against. So even if you block half those, you've blocked half of the cancer causing strains that are out. That's yeah, I get it. Right. And in 12 years, you know, the first 12 years of the HPV vaccine uh, coming out, we saw almost an 88% reduction in uh, some of these precancers and and um, and cancers that are related to HPV. So an 88% reduction in cancers caused by just when just by having the vaccine being yes, used. and this was this was studied in in young women um, who were 14 to 19 years old, and then 81% reduction in young women who were 20 to 24 years old. And so this is usually, you know, the younger folks are the ones that may be at higher risk because they're still kind of figuring out life, yes. still figuring out decision-making. And we don't want anyone to have to 
deal with cervical cancer because maybe they didn't make the right partner choice. I think just about every adult has had a relationship that didn't, you know, exactly work out the way they wanted to. No, exactly. Stop it, Joy. No. Yeah. We've all been there, right? And say, man, if I had known what I know now, I would have never picked that person, right? Right. Well, and your point earlier, I mean, if I know that I can protect my health and also enjoy my life at the same time, this is a nice way to think about that, where, you know, if I did make a stupid decision, <laughs> right. I had a vaccine when I was 10 years old, that kind of protects me a little bit from this craziness that, that goes on as we age. Such uh, opportunity for parents, right? Oh, that's we true. No, we, we know that we made mistakes. We know our kids are going to make, um, you know, may not make the right choices all the time, or they may make the right choice. And that person, you know, had some something in their background. And I, I don't want it to get into kind of a thing of who's right and who's wrong or are people bad if they have HPV? Cause that's, that's exactly. absolutely not the case, but it can be difficult for people to know that they are HPV carriers prior to becoming intimate with someone. So I always talk to uh, my patients in my office and say, Hey, before you attack your partner, understand that the majority yeah. of people don't, don't pass HPV maliciously. They don't know they have it. There are no symptoms. And unfortunately, it's just that you are the person that ended up with this abnormal test result. And now we need to act on it to prevent, you know, cervical cancer or vaginal cancer. Yeah, or anal cancer. I mean, it's it's right. one of those things where it's just, I don't know, preventive, just thinking ahead, just like getting screenings done for any other cancer. I, I have to ask this because you're talking about statistics and we saw, you know, numbers come down in certain groups. But earlier you talked about we're seeing the, some numbers go up. Are there certain populations in our communities that have a higher um, a higher number of cases of cancers related to HPV? So um, that's been a little bit difficult to flesh out. Certainly, folks who maybe not don't have access to the best um, health care, so people who may not be able to get in for those screenings, because normally, if you can catch an HPV. Um, abnormality early, you can treat it with excision, like you removing whatever it is that has HPV. But when you're talking about people actually getting cancer, it's usually folks who may not have had access to care. Maybe uh, they have lower um, socioeconomic status, or maybe they live in rural areas where there's not a health provider close enough for them to get to on a regular basis, or maybe, um, you know, they um, have uh, not necessarily had access to um, great health education, right? So they may not know they need to be screened or that they need vaccines for prevention. So these are all folks that can kind of be marginalized. I mean, and we see a greater, much greater prevalence of HPV related cancers in developing countries who, you know, just don't have the infrastructure to screen and treat, um, you know, and so that's why prevention becomes so important. Because if everybody has access to prevention, then regardless of whether or not you're able to access the system for screening and treatment, we are going to decrease um, HPV-related cancers astronomically. I mean, we can potentially almost eradicate them based on the numbers that we've seen um, in terms of reduction of HPV-related cancers since the vaccine has come out. That's incredible. You know, when I was in practice, we had this program where kids can qualify for free vaccines up to the age of 18 and it goes away when you become 18 and you're an adult I for parents out there thinking about this you know if your kid's under the age of 18 it might be a great time because I believe Gardasil's covered 
by this vaccine program that's for children. Mm-hmm. And it, so that way you don't have to worry about the cost of the three shots and doing all that kind of thing. And if I'm not mistaken, vaccine, we call it vaccine for kids, but VFC, vaccine for children, I think they cover Gardasil for those that qualify. That's a really good point that you make. Doing it younger also gets it covered a little easier. So yeah, that's that's very much true. And most insurances cover the vaccine series up until age 26. And then after 26, you're usually on the hook for paying for it yourself. But there are some um, programs available at some um, local departments of health where you can get it for a very reasonable price. And I'm always thinking, um, hey, you know, what would be when you when you're thinking about the whole um, the whole prevention strategy? I'm always thinking, hmm, what would be the cost if I were to get an HPV related precancer or cancer versus the cost of this vaccine? And the vaccine is somewhere around 250 bucks. Sorry, people are beeping into my. <laughs> They're trying to get your attention. They're trying to get my attention. Um, what would be the cost if I was actually getting, um, having to um, have all these treatments and doctor's visits and, you know, maybe even undergo surgery? So 250 bucks here on the front end sounds like a much better deal than all of that, because you also then have to calculate in how much time I'm going to have to miss from work. And am I going to be able to, you know, how yeah. quickly am I going to be able to recover? So, and then my quality of life, you know, I, I don't want to be, anxious and stressed and running around trying to make sure that I'm not going to die of cervical cancer. I want to be able to live my life. So it's definitely worth the investment. Peace of mind, I think is a great thing. Great, great point there. Um, So those over the age of 26, talk to your primary care, talk to your pharmacist as well, because they do have access in local pharmacies and they can give you an idea about what the cost is. And there are programs out there. I know in my conversations with others that you've done a talk on HPV in many, many places. And I know in your practice, you've seen a lot of different people. Do you have a success story of using Gardasil or a patient that was impacted by that personally? I mean, you've had to see the benefit of this as a physician. Yes, absolutely. Um, I've had, you know, I see uh, women and, and most of the women I see are in rural Georgia. Uh, And, you know, one of the things that I always try to do is to encourage them after we've gone through treatment for, say, an abnormal pap smear and we've done biopsies and tried to remove any abnormal cells, I'll always say, hey, you've got to get vaccinated, you know, go ahead, get your vaccine, because this is going to prevent you from having to worry about coming back for another one of these in, in the, in the future. And I've had, you know, many folks that'll say, Hey, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get vaccinated. And we make sure that they complete their entire series of, of the three vaccines. And, you know, they've done very well coming back for follow-up and, and we haven't had to, to worry about this sort of thing coming back. Whereas some of my patients who weren't you know, so okay with getting vaccinated. We've had abnormal pap after abnormal pap, even to the point where we just had to just take the uterus and cervix out because there was just no more cervix to biopsy. So, you know, it can it really make a huge difference. And I hope that people understand that, not to mention that the HPV vaccine is one of the safest vaccines that we have on the market. So our safety data is, is pretty ex- robust. And, um, you know, we haven't seen a lot of um, adverse reactions to HPV vaccines, but we have seen a whole lot of benefit. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, as it, from a pharmacy standpoint, a pharmacist standpoint, it is one of the what we call cleaner vaccines in terms of side effects and those kinds of things. Very rarely do you see anybody have issues even the next day uh, mm -hmm. versus the flu vaccine. Sometimes people are like, oh, it gets me sick. This is this doesn't do that. Right. Dr. Kate, we've, we've covered HPV, what it is, how you get it, how to not get it, right? <laughs> what we're doing with cancers and screening and those things. I, I always like to ask the guests to sum up our time together with three pearls that if the folks were listening and they caught the last five minutes of this podcast, they kind of get the gist of what we talked about. So can you give us three pearls on what we've covered today? So first one is knowledge is power. You got to know what HPV is out there and that the human papillomavirus is um, certainly a um, sexually transmitted virus that can be spread through body uh, fluids or skin to skin contact. So you got to know about it. The next thing is screening. Screening is still important. Yeah. So whether that's making sure that you're taking good care of your oral health to prevent oral or throat cancers related to HPV, or um, if you are a man sleeping with men, a pap test of the anus, or if you are a woman, you definitely want to have your, and you're sexually active, you want to have your pap screening with HPV um, testing. Um, and so there are lots of guidelines for when and how to be screened. But the first thing is to know about these things. And then um, treatment, if your screening comes back positive, follow-up is absolutely key. You don't want to just say, oh, I don't want any more bad news, so I'm not going to go back. Follow-up is, is so important, and that's how you can prevent cancer. And finally, probably the most important thing we talked about today is the vaccine. Um, and so prevention is absolutely key. It's so It would be so great if all kids who are growing up can have access to this vaccine so that when they become adults, they don't have to worry about um, a large risk for HPV-related cancers. Thank you. I think that sums it up beautifully. Thank you for joining me today. This conversation to me is so timely because we get to know more and more about this particular virus, but we also sometimes forget to talk about we've come a long way from where we started the decade ago with this vaccine to today with it covering nine strains. And to your point, all the way up to the age of 45 now mm -hmm. in terms of indication. So we yeah, really expanded. Yeah. We just last weekend celebrated um, World Cervical Cancer Awareness Day. So it was a, a huge deal. And, and making sure that people have access to prevention, to screening and treatment is something that, um, you know, that we're passionately working towards um, as the medical community and as, as advocates. And um, I think that that's a, a big deal for us going forward to make sure that we have access to prevention because cervical cancer is a horrible way to die. I've seen it before and it's just, it's, it's so devastating. So I just want to point out to people that prevention is so key. So if you haven't had your HPV vaccine or you have kids and they haven't had theirs, please talk to your, your doctor, your pharmacist, um, and find out how you can get protection for your family. I agree. Thank you again so much for coming on and educating us about this. Likewise, it was such a pleasure. I, I thank you for having me. No worries. I always uh, giggle a bit when the guests are like, can we come on board? What's it going to be like? I'm like, we're just going to talk and have a good time. But Dr. Baker did a nice job today and she brought a lot of great points in. I want to remind you guys, as you listen to this podcast or watch us, 
Next month, we're going to take this to the next level. Today, we talked about preventing HPV, a virus that can cause certain cancers. Next month, I'll be talking with an infectious disease pharmacist who's going to talk about how to reduce the transmission of HIV, but also a new thought where we can use antibiotics after we have sex to stop the transmission of certain sexually transmitted diseases or infections. So tune in next month as well as we continue this series of trying to keep you healthy out there as you live your life. Until then, go in good health and thanks so much for listening in. We appreciate it. <music>